Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, and I'll be your host once again this week. It is May 21st, 2015, and today's show will be brought to you in part by Tweet and Fiber Company, makers of Master Chalk, Elk Master Tips, and other great products for your billiards game for more than 100 years, American-made, right here in Chicago. What's going on in the headlines this week? Well, if you hadn't been paying attention, there's a couple of great events coming up over this Memorial Day weekend. You got the 5th Annual Ginky Memorial kicking off tomorrow in the uh, Steinway Billiards in New York there. That will be live streamed on AZ Billiards TV. So go to azbilliards.com to find out more about that. And if you want to head south... Down there, just outside of New Orleans in Metairie, Louisiana, there's going to be a really hot one-pocket tournament going on. I'm telling you, this one's going to be smoking hot at Buffalo's Billiards. The uh, winner's going to walk away with a cool 16 grand in his pocket. So if you want to find out more about watching that online, go to PoolActionTV.com. It is sure to be a killer, killer, killer set up for this one man you don't want to miss that and what else is going on well if you didn't uh hear already there's a new event the event is not new but the name is new it's the archer cup held in uh, quebec uh they just uh finished that up this past week and uh torsten holman ripped through ripped through the competition went undefeated to take the title for that one and uh yow it was not an easy field either. There was some lots of top players going on at that event, so that was a pretty big win for him. And uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to be talking to Torsten today. You know, we had decided to uh, get with a couple of these professionals and, and, and see what it takes. You know, how do you prepare for a really heavy-duty tournament like that? You know, and how do you deal with it while you're actually in the tournament? You know, in between matches, you're going to keep your head in the game. So uh, we talked to Torsten about uh, his practices, you know, what, what he does to concentrate and get ready. And we also talked to Mr. Mike Deshane about the exact same thing. You know, asked him what he does to get himself psyched up and in the, uh, in the zone for that. Uh, we also talked to Mike a little bit about his uh, Moscone Cup intentions and about this great new show that's supposed to be airing tomorrow. The premiere, two-hour premiere on True TV, brand new pool program called The Hustlers. This will be the first time that there has been a pool program on television in a long, long time. So we got our fingers crossed, hope that it's going to be a good production. And uh, at the very least, you guys, tune in and just watch it 
you know, even if you like it or not, tune in so that the, the, the network can get some good numbers on it, you know, give them something to work with. So we wish them the best on that. It should be a pretty fun program. And uh, we wish them, you know, like I said, we wish them the best on that. That's uh, that's pretty cool that they've taken the time to do that. And there's a lot of great players. Uh, it should be interesting. It really should be. Uh, I will be glued to the television. So anyway, moving right along. Um, you know, I'm going to yap at you for about some history for just a second. And I'm going to ask you for some help. Um, there was a gentleman by the name of Lansing Perkins. He's sometimes also called Lanson Perkins. Perkins. Have you ever seen the movie Tombstone? If you hadn't, it's a movie about Wyatt Earp, the Old West character down there in Tombstone, and his run-in with the cowboy faction. It's uh, set in the Old West, obviously, in Tombstone, Arizona. And here's why this is relevant. There was a, this gentleman, Lansing, Lansing Perkins. Uh, he was born in Wisconsin. He headed out to the Pacific Coast. And by 1873, he was matching up with some of the locals and playing in tournaments. And uh, he became a pretty accomplished pool player in his own right. And how he ties to the Tombstone Saga, he hooked up with... If you've seen the movie, a character by the name of Tony Craker in San Francisco. And they were kind of running buddies. They would gamble together and they would play together. And both of them ended up moving out into Tombstone. Uh, Craker goes to one of the hotels and uh, he takes over the gambling operation for the hotel. And Perkins takes over the billiard room. So they're both working there. Um, the difference between the two is that Craker sympathized with the local cowboys and they were kind of crooked. They, uh, you know, ran things, so to speak, there in town. And the uh, sheriff and the, and the local uh, police chief, as you might say, they really couldn't do much about it. So they had their hands tied. They had to deal with these cowboys running amok, as it were. And... Uh, so at one point, Wyatt Earp shows up. He doesn't like the fact that these cowboys are kind of running the place. Uh, he takes Craker, throws him out, takes his position at the hotel, running the gambling operation there. And of course, the cowboys are still running amok, and, and that he doesn't like that anymore. Uh, so between him and his brothers, the Earp brothers... They ended up taking up the positions of the of the of the policemen for the town, trying to clean up the place a bit. And of course, the cowboys didn't like it all that much, and you know, so this conflict erupted. Ended up with a couple of the Earp brothers getting shot. One of them got killed. Wyatt Earp goes off and decides to take the law into his own hands. He doesn't want to have him tried and taken to court and yada, yada, yada. He just wants him dead. So Earp goes rogue. Him and his brothers and his posse start going after the cowboys and just shooting them. Just killing them in cold blood, as it were. Now, back to Mr. Perkins. Lansing Perkins. He teams up with the, the local sheriff to try to stop the Earp brothers from running amok. So the sheriff and his posse, they take off into the desert following the Earps and their posse trying to stop the killing, etc., etc. 
So Perkins started off as a billiard player on the West Coast, moves to Tombstone. He's uh, running the billiard room in the hotel, uh, ends up pairing up with the local sheriff to stop the Earp brothers. And uh, all that is said and done in its own history, on its own accord. The interesting thing is that Lansing goes ahead and quits this Southwest desert sheriff cop thing and he moves to Chicago to become what might have been the most renowned billiards instructor in the country at that time. And this was in the 1880s and 90s there. Um, Perkins took up residence as the house pro and instructor at what at the time would have been probably the most popular billiard room in the country called Mussey's, owned by William P. Mussey. Now, Perkins, you know, never really became that adamant or uh, that successful as a professional, but his instruction and his techniques were well known throughout the country. And he actually brought under his wing uh, a a soon-to-be champion by the name of Calvin Demarest and another guy who that you might be a little bit more familiar with by the name of Welker Cochran. Both of them, under Perkins' instruction, went on to become world champions. Um, That was all fine and good. Perkins had had an interesting life and uh, certainly made an impact, as it were, on the billiard world. And in 1916, about 99 years ago, and a, a 99 years and a month ago, Perkins died in June of 1916. And, uh, and this was in Chicago. And his body was sent back to Wisconsin, where he was born, uh, to where one of his sisters lived. And according to all accounts that we can find, he was sent to Beloit, Wisconsin, and there he was buried. Now, we've been trying to do some research on Mr. Perkins, and we found out everything so far what I have, about his life, just as I have explained it to you. But the mystery is, we cannot seem to find out where he was actually buried in Beloit. Beloit's not really that big of a town. There's only a handful of cemeteries there. And we've done some looking, and uh, we're having a hard time finding him. So... If you live in the Beloit, Wisconsin area, and you are willing to help us out a little bit, you might be able to go over to the cemeteries or contact one of them and see if they can help, if you can help by doing some looking around in the cemeteries and seeing if we can help find his gravestone. Because if he doesn't have one, we would like to get one placed there for him. So that's my historical anecdote for the week. And uh, yeah, so if you live, live in southern Wisconsin, you know, give us a shout and see, you know, might be able to help us uh, solve a mini mystery there. We're going to go on with it now. Uh, we're going to get to uh, Mr. Homan and uh, Mr. DeShane right after your one minute pool instructor. Hi, I'm Scott Lee. And Randy G. Welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. So this is an interesting topic, Scott. 
What's more important, mental game or physical game? Well, you know, it kind of depends on the, uh, the, the place that somebody is in their pool education. When you're first starting out and learning how to play, the physical is absolutely vital. Well, it's and the you know only what? thing, really. Let's rephrase that because we see an awful lot of players who've played for 30 years, but they still don't have any physical game. They don't have a routine that they can depend upon. Yeah, their timing is poor and you know, <clears throat> or different every shot. Yeah, so it isn't just beginning players that come up against this problem, but we see expert players that have trouble maintaining or reproducing that expert level of play all the time. So I, I would say in the beginning education of a great stroke, regardless of your ability as a player, it's all physical. Yes. And then somewhere down the line it becomes 50-50 physical and mental, and then it probably evolves into almost all mental, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think once your, your stroke mechanics, that includes everything, your eye patterns and, and your stroke mechanics, become subconscious, yep. then you can control the mental part too. Mm -hmm. But uh, until, until your stroke is greased and oiled, you'll never have 100% mental capabilities. Well, and, and until you can depend on it, so that you don't have to think about it. We right. talk about this all the time. Right. You think standing up, you can't think down on the table because you don't have time. No. So, so the the, the idea is then uh, once once you develop these stroke mechanics, then you develop your your mental prowess too. Oh, absolutely. And and you also then open yourself up to thinking about different ways of how you play. Oh, because there's We all know there's six ways to shoot any shot, and every pro knows them. It's just what do they choose to do at that moment? Right, right. So, you know, just to recap, um, they're both equally important, but in the end, uh, it's the mental game that's going to carry you through. But you can't have a mental game if you don't have the physical game. That's true. So, so would you say at the professional level, it's a hundred percent mental? Oh yeah, golly yeah. They, they just maintain their mental, you don't know that, in stroke, or what's some other words? Dead stroke, dead stroke, in the zone, oh, yeah. fast but and loose. They're there, yeah. where an amateur player who has still got a little glitch in his stroke can't quite get there yet. But every once in a while, almost every pool player has experienced that dead stroke idea where they just had a, a shot or a game where everything just happened perfectly. Yeah, for one ball. Yeah, or even one game. Yeah, one game. And you know what? In the history of pool, there's never <laughs> been even a professional player who was in the zone for a multi-day pool tournament. So we can do things to help ourselves fall into that place more frequently, but it starts with an accurate and repeatable stroke. Amen. All right, for uh, Scott Lee. And this is Randy G. Well, uh, this has been the One Minute Pool Instructor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on American Billiard Radio. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report. This is Mark Cantrell, your host. And... Uh, Last week in our uh, chats, we were talking about professionals and uh, what makes a professional player. And so now, I, I, w and I was talking about uh, Thorsten Holman. And uh, so I've got Thorsten Holman on the line with us. How are you doing, Thorsten? Hi, Mark. I'm good. I'm in New York City, getting ready good. for my next tournament. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, 
you did uh, you just won the Archie Cup up there in Canada. Congratulations. Thank you, Mark. Um, I can't imagine anybody who is more professional than you in, well, just about everything that you do as far as uh, the pool and billiards game goes. And I know for a fact some of the things that you do do to prepare for a tournament. And that's one of the things that we were, to- we're talking about this week. Uh, not just on my show, on the other shows as well. Um, can you give us a little bit of an insight into how you, where does it start? I mean, is it the peace of mind from knowing your travel plans are all secure? Or where does it start if you're going to the U.S. Open? Okay, well, first of all, I must say that I'm very harsh on myself. And I'm not extremely happy about my preparation in general. You know, it could always be better, much better. And uh, but the, the problem we have is today, first, you know, tournaments have been declining in the States. There are not many tournaments to play in. Um, even worldwide, we used to play three, four events in the Philippines and Korea and Indonesia, and uh, there are not too many tournaments left. However, I still try to treat it as, you know, most professional I can. <clears throat> so that makes it difficult sometimes to really prepare for events. Um, sometimes we have a few months with nothing happening, like early in the year, there's usually, you know, whoever goes to the Derby City Classic, then you have the Super Billet Expo in Philadelphia. So from January till, let's say, June, it's pretty quiet. Um, so it's not like in other sports where you have a season and you can prepare yourself for the season and then have to take time off. Because I think, to me in general, what I've learned playing uh, over 23 years of pool, actually, let me think, uh, 25 almost, <laughs> um, is I, in my level, I need to find balance. You know, when you're young, you start playing pool and you're eager to play, uh, you've got to put in the hours, you've got to play, you know, eight hours a day, ten hours a day with nothing because you want to and you enjoy it. But you play pool for over 20 years, Any anything you do over 20 years, you know, it can become stale at times. So you really need to find the balance. I think that's like one of the keys uh, to my success in the past is, uh, you know, to find that balance between doing other things, getting away from pole, and then being uh, hot again and, you know, the will to win. Uh, where if you're young, you just started playing pole, then that's normal for you. All you want to do is play pole. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you get, you're not old, uh, you know, <laughs> really, but I, I understand what you're saying when you've got people like uh, uh, Sky Woodard, uh, who, you know, that age has got no fear. He's got nothing to lose, you know? He just wants to play a pool. Uh, yeah. So in other, in other sports, you have seasons. So those, you know, if you have, I don't know, the summer off and then you have the season, that gives you the time to, um, you know, go back and maybe uh, reanalyze what happened the past season and uh, think about what you can improve. The future takes some time off. We don't really have that. We're kind of all over the place. You gotta pick and choose the tournaments you wanna play in. Some of them you gotta be invited. I'm sorry for the noise. I'm uh, in New York City. <laughs> um, so it's 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 not that easy. It could be easier for for us to prepare for events, but you still gotta do the best you can. Um, I think most importantly, you gotta be it's very basic. Okay, you gotta be uh, you gotta come prepared to an event. A lot of players they go to a tournament. And then uh, they don't perform well. I asked him, well, uh, how much did you practice? And they said, not really. I said, well, here you go. 
So it's very easy to find the cause for like a bad performance. Um, and that happens a lot. Actually, that to me, that's like uh, maybe seventy-five percent of guests of the players. They don't. They're not really prepared going into an event. They don't have. Right. Uh, they don't. They never put in the, the homework. Um, now, so if you know, uh, if, if you know a month ahead of time that you're going to go to, let's just. I'm just going to use the U.S. Open as an example. If you know you go to the U.S. Open and it's a month ahead of time, when do you start practicing for the U.S. Open? See, do you do anything special? Is there any special drills that you see, do? See, the way you talk, uh, that's like a perfect, uh, like, uh, that's like wishing, you know. Uh, that would be ideal. If you had an event, you had a big event that you could prepare but like I said, our tournaments sometimes they just pop up, or you get invited to an event, or you decide to go to an event. It's not that I have. I usually it's around that time in October when the U.S. Open happens, I have other events um, before and after. So that's what we usually do. That keeps us sharp. We have an event, finish it, go to the next one. Um, so that's actually my preparation is uh, to have other events. Of course, there are some that you, you're like, I've never won the US Open, so I really, I try extra hard, or I'm extra motivated. Um, but there are other events before and after, and I'm also trying, you know, to do well. Right. Well, it's, uh, maybe this is the year, year for you. Um, I, now I, remember, I remember a time uh, where I had, uh, where it was like that, where I had time to prepare for an event like I was in my hometown and I had a world championship coming up. I think that was actually 2003. And uh, the one thing I did was, for example, I did a long, a long set race to 100 uh, with against multiple players in my club. Like after like 10 racks or so, someone else would come in and play against me. And then once I get to 20 or so, with the next player would come in. And um, I tried to create the same conditions as the tournament. You know, like you try to find out, okay, what clock are we playing on? What kind of balls are we using? What's the wrecking rule? Uh, what's the format? And so on. And then um, practice under the same condition. That would be ideal. Um, I think uh, Yasmin Oshan and Michael Newman in Austria, they created a, uh, an academy where they can even adjust the humidity uh, in the room. So let's say they play in China. They know there's a lot of a moisture in the air, they can simulate that. Oh, wow. That's, that's, like, yeah, that's pretty cool right there. Cause yeah, that's like future. Um, and I'm sure, you know, if we ever get to grow and there'll be more money in the sport, which i very faithful <laughs> uh, and hopeful for the future, then uh, that could be the standard. You know, you know you're going to play in a very dry uh, environment and then you have uh, your own practice area where you can simulate that, where... Or you play in a very moist, moist area. No, the table might be a little bit different. You can simulate that. So that's uh, that's the ideal preparation. If you're playing, yeah, if you're playing overseas, um, let's say China, the China Open. Do you, before you leave New York, do you try to ever to get on that time schedule and sleep at weird times so that when you get there? Um, of course, you know, over the years, I've uh, had my share of experience, and sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it doesn't. 
Um, in general, I try to. There have been whole studies on that subject, and I have a friend that's very knowledgeable about it. Um, like when you have to eat, what you have to eat. Uh, I think the key is uh, the right light exposure at certain times. Um, my friend even carries a blue light that simulates simulate, uh, daylight. So there are certain, certain hours of the day that depending on from where you travel, where you're going to, you have to be exposed to light. But it might be dark in the, in the country that you're going to. So he has that blue light that simulates sunlight. And he sits in front of it for half an hour or so. Um, you can always do something like melatonin or GABA to help you, you know, fall into a deeper sleep. Um, so there are a few things you can do. Exercise, of course, helps. Um, but everything has to be timed. And most players, they don't really pay attention to that. Um, but I think in the future, because, you know, the level of play is getting better and better. You know, younger players are coming, and they're stronger, and the game develops. The equipment gets easier, and um, so you're trying to gain an edge over your opponent, whether it's with perfect practice, um, you know, developing your technique, but even um, finding the right nutrition to have a, the energy level to complete the whole tournament, you know. That was, that was something I was going to ask you about, because I know from uh, experience and, you know, being around you... Um, I don't know, are you, still, are you still taking your own food around with you? Well, that would be ideal. and um, You were at one point, company, right? Oh, that's perfect, you know. Um, I mean, I've put a lot of thought into what's the right nutrition, um, meaning eating small meals throughout the whole day to keep your energy the same. Um, and there's, you know, there's some some services, I know of one in my hometown, in my in Jacksonville, that provide those meals, and um, but they don't deliver. So when I was in Jacksonville, I was uh, able to get the food for like a week or so, and then take it with me. That would be perfect um, because that's really tough. You know, places we travel to to find the right food, you just eat what's available, and usually you just you eat like once or twice a day, depending also on your match schedule. But ideally, it would be if you had uh, small meals available uh, the whole day. But not always easy. You go to places like China or, you know, especially places in Asia or casinos in the States. Yeah, does, so that, that's a ever, challenge. Yeah, does that ever have an effect on you overseas? Uh, like the food is different, you know? Uh, I know the food like a Big Mac in England is different to a Big Mac in America. It tastes different. Well, it's both garbage, so it doesn't matter where you eat it. Um, <laughs> but... Bit, there hasn't been really much research at all, right? Uh, I think that people can agree that if you eat greasy food and, you know, high-calorie carbohydrates, fats, that you feel bloated and, like, excuse me, shit uh, the whole day versus, you know, you eat, like, good, clean food, fresh food, uh, salads, vegetables, you know, meat, uh, good carbs, then um, you have higher energy. Just people don't pay attention. They don't think... It makes a uh, difference in the game, but I'm sure it does. You know, if there would be a study, I'm sure it would come out positive for, like, eating good, healthy food. But since the game of pool is not as developed as other sports, um, we're not paying attention to that. Uh, attention to that. I know even I, I um, used to be very close to a professional golfer, 
and even they don't, um, or some of them, they don't pay attention to that, where they can improve their game as well. So I'm sure there's a lot to learn in the future, and if if pool you know, ever comes to a point where there's more money and people can afford to hire nutritionists and psychologists, then uh, we'll take the next, next step, just trying to uh, make the best out of it. Yeah, we're getting, uh, getting a little bit of background noise there. For those of you who are listening, uh, Torsten was going to take the subways in New York City. He was going to take the subway somewhere, and uh, but we needed to get this interview done, so he said he was going to walk. And so that's what the noise is that you're hearing. Uh, I'm looking at the Empire State Building right now. <laughs> are you really? Okay, that's cool. Is what's the weather like? Is it cold? It's not bad. Yesterday was beautiful. Oh. Warm t-shirt weather. Today it's a little bit colder, but uh, actually, I actually like it. It's nice for walking. As long as it's not raining. So. I can't remember. I think the last time I saw you, you were building a snowman. <laughs> was that remember. the last time I saw you? This is Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to uh, the God of the Gods. Got a great picture of us holding up that big rock that looks like it's going to fall on top of you. Oh. Um, let me see. What else do I got? Yeah, well, you, you go to the gym every day. Do you go to the gym every day when you? Well, in uh, I wish I used to. I, I had a uh, injury about a year ago, my shoulder, so I had to cut back on lifting weights. I want to get back into it. Because people always ask that's a question I always get, right? Uh, so, what do you think? Uh, does lifting affect your game? Um, I wouldn't recommend to everybody because everybody's physique is different and reacts differently. I know some players, they say, when they lift heavy weights, then they can't play pool afterwards. For me, it's the opposite. You know, I lift weights, then I feel much more solid. You know, my arm's solid, and it uh, gives me confidence. I feel good. You know, I was told when you look good, you feel good. You feel good, you play good. So uh, it works for me. And uh, if I could, I would work out every day. Uh, maybe not right before the match, but I, I do even heavy weights. Uh, cardio, obviously, always good. Um, you have a long day, long matches. The one that is fit might have an edge over a player that's not as fit. It might not be uh, the deciding factor, but it could help for sure. So if you want to be a world champion, then I highly recommend you to do your cardio training, do your weight, especially do your stretching, um, because it's a very... One-sided affair, the muscles, you know, everybody, there's so many pool players, they have messed up bags and the problems in, with the neck. And um, so it's always good, especially when you start playing, to immediately uh, incorporate some stretching exercises. You know, yoga, perfect. Because um, that might make an edge, you know, might give you an edge over your opponent in the long run. So why not take advantage of it? Many players don't do it. You know, you look at, there's like Efren Reyes or Buddy Hall. Those guys, they never worked out. And it's true, they became world champions. But two things. First of all, how much better could they have been if they would have been in tremendous shape? And second, like I said, the players are getting, the good players get younger. You know, they learn the game faster. And um, look at Niels, you know, he's top fit, reigning world champion. You know, Mika, Darren, those guys are all super fit. Um... And that's the trend. So, if you want to compete in a high level, you should be in shape too. And that, that goes for uh, cardio, goes for stretching, you know, muscle training and uh, nutrition. 
that's just one part. And then, it, of course, you have the training, the preparation, the you know, so many things we we could work on. You know, technical training, tactical training, uh, mental training. You can do things besides a uh, pool that might help you playing, like um, uh, like uh, what's it called meditation. Um, because that's one thing I was. That's what I was yep. going to ask you, Tosti. I, I, I hadn't asked you, and it's, I think it's basically the last uh, t- topic is m- mindset. Your mindset, mental preparedness. Is there something that you think or something you do? Is there something in, in your how you prepare that way? Well, I, you know, I have my good tournaments. I have my bad tournaments. Um, in general, like I said, it all comes down to how prepared are you. If you go into a tournament and you you never play pole for two weeks before, then mentally you're already not uh, prepared for an event. But if you know that you've put in your homework and you spend your three, five, six hours a day playing pole, then you're confident. So that's that's like the, the basic of mental training, in my opinion, already. Uh, then, uh, of course, if you... If you uh, it depends also how you train. If you just play pole, that's one thing. Um, if you have little goals, like daily goals, when you go to your pool room, um, whether you do drills and exercises and you set certain like benchmarks for yourself that you're trying to break and you do, then that gives you confidence uh, for the tournament versus you just go in and you play. Um, or you come from a tournament win, of course, then you most likely be more confident for the next one. Um, I heard players, you know, if they do, let's say, uh, martial arts, that can help your confidence. Uh, yeah, meditation. Um, uh, for me, I used to do some big cum yoga. I think that's, that's actually perfect for a pool player. You know, battling the heat, your, your, you know, the pain uh, to overcome. It's, it's, uh, to me, it's perfect for a pool player. Um, so I have a little bit of experience in that. And then just by playing 24 years, um, Every tournament, you can learn something new. You know, whether it's battling against an opponent that's annoying, that's trying to play mind games, uh, if it's the conditions are not as you expect them to be, uh, or the fans are against you, there's always something new. And, you know, I try to see it as a challenge. And at the time, I might be annoyed, or it might influence my game in a negative way. But in general, I have to I try to keep an open mind and learn from it. And... Uh, try to use that energy, even if it's negative, and maybe channel it into something where it gives me that extra will to beat my opponent. And uh, especially in those big events, that's why I've been doing well in those big tournaments. And you see me in a final, I usually do well because uh, that's when it, you know, it, it brings out the best in me. So I don't really have a, uh, like, I don't meditate every day or... I wish I would. Maybe in the future I will. Um, I tried that. Somebody told me I should start trying to do meditation, and, and I tried it. I kept falling asleep, Toasty. <laughs> so, well, it's all practice, uh, and I don't know much about it. Uh, just a little bit, just the basics, you know. But if you're able to control your thoughts, maybe first in a very still environment where it's just you and yourself, and that's, you know, you can distract yourself. But if you learn how to actually set up the thoughts controlling you, you can control your own thoughts, and then you take that to your tournaments, 
you know, because that's what it comes down to. You're on the match. It's that uh, that little annoying guy in your ear that tells you, ah, you're going to lose an earth. You know, if you lose, then you're done, then you can relax. Or, you know, so many, so many bad things that shoot through your mind during a match. And um, if you're able to control those thoughts and then channel them into, hey, you know, whatever, what, whatever happens, I'm going to give my best and I, I try to win, then, uh, then you're a winner and, uh, and practice it at home and then uh, you take it to tournament. <laughs> Man, you make yourself feel easy. Um, where, where are you heading to now, Dawson? Where you, where, what's your next tournament? Um, I decided to play the Ginky Memorial this weekend in uh, New York at Steinway. And then I think the China Open, end of June. Like I said, there's not much going on. Not many uh, big events, not many WK events in the beginning of the year. Um, so I'm trying to do well uh, there, trying to improve my ranking. Right, because you now, I suppose Moscone Cup goes. It's hard for you and uh, like Darren Appleton to uh, qualify on points because you know everything is over there. So expensive to go to qualify. Yeah, well, I, there's not much I can say about that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough to for you guys, but. Um, I appreciate your time, Thorsten, and uh, you sharing your knowledge with us and, uh, and taking the time. Um, Anytime. Do you have uh, any sponsors you'd like to thank uh, or mention? Of course. You know, I've been with Locasi for, let me think, 11 years now. So I'm very proud, you know, still winning tournaments. Um, then uh, Timones and Kamui. Been with them for many many years. I'm very proud to be with the you know best in the industry. Then I got a new sponsor, Mooses Shoes. You should check them out. I'm actually wearing them right now as I'm walking the streets of New York City. Um, they're from uh, Finland, called Mooses. I keep seeing those. Yep. Um, super comfortable. Um, I put them on. Usually I get a new pair of shoes, and then at the end of the day I got blisters and stuff. Um, but those shoes, I put them on, and immediately it felt very comfortable. And, and they look like fresh shoes. Very easy for me to shake hands with uh, Auntie, the uh, owner, and say, "Yeah, I want to represent those shoes. They're cool." So, and of you walking, to, walking, to, walking forty blocks in New York City. For those of you didn't hear that, he's saying mooses, M O O S E S. Yep, mooses. Because you talk funny, you know. It's just no, you know, if anybody could understand. <laughs> Try my best. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Oh, did you have any more, Tosi? Anybody else you want well, to mention? Well, you know, I Sorry. wish it would be a bit more organized, uh, my thoughts, a little bit all over. But, uh, like I said, uh, it's tough right now. You don't have too many tournaments. It's hard to prepare. It's, like I said, we had a set schedule of whatever, 15, 16 events a year. Then the preparation would look a little bit different than it is now. Um, but in general, try to find balance, try to put in the effort and the work when you practice, and try to have fun when you compete. Because other, most people that try it in reverse, they just, you know, goofy, having fun when they practice, and then they go to the tournament and they're trying to perform. No, it works the other way. You've got to put in the work when you're at home practice. practicing. Put in the hours, make sure you're prepared for the event, um, exercise, 
you know, there's many literature out there. Uh, cardio, number one. Uh, flexibility, number two. Then, I guess, strength, number three. Um, nutrition, small portions throughout the day. Um, when you compete, you need a little bit more carbs. But in general, you know, focus on the proteins and, and vegetables. And, and don't smoke. Smoking is bad. Uh, alcohol, I don't say I don't drink at all, but uh, just occasionally, you know, celebrate a victory here and there. Um, drink a lot of water the whole day, very important. Um, whatever, do your supplements, vitamins. Um, and then uh, just be positive. Again, there's a lot of literature on meditation, yoga uh, that helps and uh, be a good uh, example for the next generation. <laughs> I think you do a pretty good job of that, Wilson. Uh You're very, you're very professional. I don't uh, mind sharing my my uh, principles and my experience because, I, you know, some people think, oh, I share my knowledge and my wisdom, and then people will use it against me. I think uh, it will always come back to me, and it's worked for so many years, and I'm still pretty successful. So I just keep riding that wave. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I've got one last question. It's not considering about any of uh, the preparation, but you did say it'd be uh, nice if we had more tournaments, you know, to to go to. Which would, you, in your opinion, which would you rather have? Would you rather have four tournaments with twenty five thousand added, or would you rather have twelve tournaments with ten thousand added? Of course, more tournaments are better. It's like, uh, it's like if you want to have a chance to, uh, um, what's a good example? It's like uh, if you have a stock on uh, Wall Street, would you rather have a shot at a million or like a uh, hundred shots at 10,000? You know, if you spread your luck, you're a bit more conservative might be the way to go because you don't risk uh, everything. Right. You know, you, if you mess up one tournament, that's it. You don't make any money. But if you play more tournaments, you mess up one, you still have a chance for like nine or ten more. So I'd rather play more tournaments with a little bit less added money than having a handful of tournaments with more added. Make sense? Yeah, yeah the expenses go up though, don't they? Excuse me? As well. The expenses go up as well though with the, that theory. I agree well, with you. Don't get me wrong. I agree with you. I'm just saying if it costs Fifteen hundred, two thousand to go to a tournament, and you're going to win ten thousand first place, maybe let's say. Then, you know, it's, it cuts down your uh, profit margin. Well, I have to look at the everything. Uh, to give me the exact uh, numbers, then I can tell you what makes more sense. But in general, I'd say, uh, like, if someone would put on a tournament with a hundred thousand dollars, I'd rather play two tournaments with fifty thousand. Right. Okay, yeah, well, I, I, I would agree with that, too. Um, well, that, that's it, Toasty. I really, again, I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, hopefully I'll uh, see you again in the near future. Um, Hope so, too. Uh, everybody, that's uh, Toasty home and giving us uh, the insights of what a world champion thinks. And Thanks. Send me a message on Facebook. Go to my Facebook page, say something, say hi, go to my Instagram. I try to be... Uh, creative and post silly stuff and interesting stuff <laughs> and funny stuff. Yeah, it's, 
And, and that German sense of humor. Yep, my German sense of humor. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week. The Legends and Champions Report with Mark Cantrell and my special guest, Mr. Thorsten Holman. Until next Mark. week, I'll see you all later. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton. I'm very pleased to be joined by Mike DeShane this week, the, the star of The Hustlers, coming up on True TV this Friday. The, the theme of our show, of course, though, is how to prepare to play in a big tournament. So, Mike, tell me how you go about preparing for a major tournament. Hey, Mike, what's going on? Um... The way I prepare for a tournament is I like to practice three or four weeks ahead of time, like drills, and most importantly, my break. Uh, I want to make sure it's, it's up to par when competing against other top professionals. Um, more, uh, more closer to the date, I, I like to go to the tournament pool hall or the tournament uh, setting and, and practice on the tables that, that I'm playing on, and, and most importantly, my break and how the rails are, check out the cloth what kind of balls they're using, and just make sure I hit as, enough, uh, hit as many balls as I can. All right, that sounds great. Um, now that we've done the obligatory question about how to prepare for a tournament, let's get back to more important things. Uh, we were talking last week, uh, Mark and Dave and myself, about the the new points list that they're doing for Moscone Cup this year and some of the events being on bar boxes. Um, you came up in that conversation. What are you, what are your opinions about what's going on this year? Well, you know, I, I'm really for the fact that there's a points list. I have not been able to um, participate in the bar table tournaments for the Moscone Cup ranking events, but I'm looking forward to Vegas, to be honest with you. You know what? There's just, there's not that many tournaments going on, and anybody who's putting up money uh, to, to host any type of event is, is good in my eyes. You don't have a problem with uh, bar box events being counted for points? I think that, you know, first of all, there's three um, levels for points, one being major, major tournaments, next being... Uh, top nine nine foot tournaments nine foot table tournaments i believe and then the last one being uh bar table i i guess slightly i have a problem and only only because of this i mean i think that some of the the incredible players out there that are competing on bar tables aren't the same caliber on nine footers and that will mean something when representing the usa in uh december no that makes sense um and i mean you know as well as i do that if they had just stuck to nine-foot tables, it would have been an awfully short list. Oh, I agree with that. But I also, I mean, that short list means that people would have have, would have tried a lot harder. You know, they would have competed and, and, and practiced, and you would have seen the cream rise to the top. Well, I hope it does anyway. Uh, Absolutely. With, with our history at the Moscone Cup recently, it would be nice. All right, well, let's get, let's get to the hustlers. Um, I had a chance to watch the first episode. Did you like it? You know, I did. Um, I'll be honest. I saw the two-minute clip that was available on either Facebook or on the True TV site, uh, the clip of, of you and Finnegan and Jared 
Um, and I thought, yeah, you know, this, this it wasn't doing anything for me. But when I watched the actual episode, I I was stuck. I, I was watched. I watched the whole thing. I was interested. It kept my attention for the entire time, which I, I don't That's think awesome. you can ask for more than that. That's great. I haven't seen an episode yet, so I'm pumped for tomorrow night. Yeah, I I I think it should be a lot of fun. Now, did I read somewhere that they're showing the first two episodes tomorrow? I believe they are. Not one hundred percent, but uh, I think so, Mike. Okay, so the the show seems to focus around the list. Um, you know, I've been in a in a few pool halls in my life, probably not as many as you have, but this is a, a new concept for me. Can you explain to the listeners? the list well the list is the top five players in new york um competing for the number one spot and uh basically to see who's the best in in new york that's that's just the gist of it and they're challenging each other to to like move up the list number five is challenging number four so on and so forth for uh money sets and it's all bragging rights basically yes I mean, sure, they, they can play each other back and forth for money and that sort of thing, but, but mostly it was based around bragging rights. Um, I thought it was interesting. I don't know Finnegan. We've talked on Facebook a couple of times. I've never met him. We've talked on the phone. Um, but he definitely seems to play the, I don't know if I would say bad guy in the show, but, you know, he's he's got that... that that kind of hustler mentality in the show did did they base the personalities in the show on the individuals because i mean certainly you have to play it up for the camera and that sort of thing although you know to be honest i didn't see a lot of playing it up for the camera yeah i don't think that happened at all i think we all went into the show being ourselves which is very important in reality television i uh there's nothing fabricated or or fishy going on i mean we are doing what we do every day. I think that's what makes it so great. And and I was really pleased to see that, you know, you would think in a reality setting, you would see guys who who should be out in Iraq and, and they would dog a, a, an easy shot. You know, I kept watching thinking, they're going to have a hard time missing a shot here. But there wasn't any of that. I mean, yeah, there were a couple of times that somebody missed a ball, but it didn't seem like they were intentionally trying to miss the ball for the cameras. They just seemed to be playing. No, I, yeah, I think that everybody that participated in the show felt very comfortable around the cameras. You know, we, um, like I said, we were just, we were doing, we were acting like we were in a pool hall every day, just doing what we were doing. So we didn't notice them. We were just playing a set and trying to win. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, we were just trying to get the money. Right. And really the, the woofing back and forth, I mean, especially with Finnegan and some of it with Emily, um, that seemed very natural. You know, having yeah. having grown up in pool halls, that sort of thing I thought was very well represented. Yeah. Well, it, it, and, and the reason I think that's well represented is, is everybody on the show knew each other prior to going into it. So we all have past experiences with each other that kind of reflects on to the show, you know? And for listeners who who haven't watched the show yet or who are not as familiar with it, uh, can you tell them who all's involved in the show? Okay, so we have 
uh, Finnegan. We have Gary O'Callaghan. We have Jennifer Beretta, Greg McAndrews, Scott Simonetti, Barana, I don't know how to say her last name, Andoni or something yeah, like that. Right. Um, Smiley, uh, Mikey Frost, Emily Dudley. Duddy. Um, Duddy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jared and myself. I may be missing somebody. I'm not 100% sure. Oh, Ross Lacey and his girlfriend Amy. Right, right. And and Ross was number five on the list. And this whole episode kind of, although there was the side action with you, the, this episode kind of rotated around Emily trying to get on the list and, and challenging yeah. Ross. Um, so, so tell me how this happened. I mean, you and I, I'm sure, have, have heard at least a dozen people say, oh, I got this great reality show that's coming up, and, and we've done this, and we've done that, and it's going to be huge for Pool, and we haven't seen a thing. So how did this happen? So, I've, you know, I'm traveling around New England, occasionally going down to New York. You know, I made a lot of friends down there, and they all got this opportunity to be on a reality TV show, and they thought that, I guess the show asked them about top players, and, and Gary actually mentioned my name. And uh, sat down. He had a Skype interview with, with Pilgrim Studios, and they liked me. So I went back and forth. I was really, um, I was questioning it and, and, and doubting it a little bit. So I, um, I had a Skype interview, and, and when a couple weeks went by, and then actually the owner of Pilgrim called me and, and talked me into doing it. So uh, everything went perfect after that. You said you weren't interested in doing it in the beginning. What's the downside? Well, I, okay, here's the downside is you never know what direction reality television could take. Uh, I was scared that they could make you into anybody who they wanted you to be. So uh, after talking with the people at Pilgrim, I, I was pretty much under the impression, hey, you are who you are, and that's what we're going to tape. And I said, perfect. You know, but before that, I didn't want you know, being a professional pool player, I didn't want people to question my integrity or, or anything of the sort. I can see that. And and from what I saw, there was there was nothing like that. I mean... No. It, it seemed like players were, were fairly well represented based on their ability. They didn't, they didn't come in and try to pretend that you were somebody nobody knew. And, you know, they were, they were perfectly upfront about where you're at in the national scene and you know they they come out in the show and say you know look mike is is i think they said you were the number two player in the country which you know arguably you are um i thought it was i still thought you guys were supposed to win that match but that's neither here nor there (laughs) yeah yeah i mean listen there's some there's um there's a lot of interesting things that go on in the show you guys have to tune in and watch i mean there's a bunch of crazy things that go on. So, and that was going to be my next question. I mean, what what sort of things are we going to see throughout the season that you can talk about? Well, I mean, I can't talk any, about anything specific, but I mean, of, of course, there's reality TV drama. You know, there's some arguments and fights and people picking on each other and 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 just some crazy things that go on that uh, that was definitely, I mean, it was awesome to experience, uh, you know, just to see it unfold because 
it was really happening. And you're like, wow, this, this is insane. And it's, it's all going down on, on, on TV. Well, I mean, arguments and fights, that sounds like a typical weekend at a pool room. Yes. <laughs> so are they, are they making plans for a second season? I mean, certainly they want to see how this does, but is this something that they want to stick with for the long haul? Uh, I am. I have no clue about any of that. Uh, like I said, I haven't even seen episode one. I'm looking forward to watching it tomorrow night. Uh, I, I hope there's a second season. I hope they they uh, like everybody on the cast this season. Uh, just see what the future un, um, unfolds. And and the show revolved in this first episode, and I'm imagining revolves for most of the season around Steinway Billiards. Um, I heard. There was going to be a viewing party there, and everybody was coming together for that tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow night, uh, Jared and I are going uh, leaving Boston, heading down to Steinway to watch the premiere. Uh, everybody from the cast is going to be there. You know, the owner of Steinway is going to be there. We're all just going to hang out and uh, watch the premiere and see how it goes. Fantastic. Uh, so, besides watching yourself on TV, what's on the calendar for the next couple of months? So this weekend, I have um, the Ginky Memorial at Steinway, Sunday, Monday. I come back home to Rhode Island for the Joss tour at the end of the month. Uh, June is up in the air. I'm going to China with Shane Van Boeing, I believe. And then um, off to Vegas for the BCA, I mean, for the CSI 10 ball in April. Is this the first time you've gone overseas to play in a tournament? No, I've been to Manila. I played in the World Cup of Pool in 2012 with oh, uh, yeah. Corey Duell, and I've also played in Shanghai before. Okay. I just, I mean, not very many of the American players go overseas, and I didn't remember, but yeah, you're right, you did. Yeah. I'm going to start traveling a lot more. I think uh, it's something I want to experience now in my life, and uh, definitely uh, try to win a championship over there. Excellent. Overseas. Okay, fantastic. Well, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time in your busy schedule. No problem. Um, I wish the show and I wish you personally uh, all the success in the world. Thank you very much. All right, well, it's, uh, it's called The Hustlers. It's on True TV. Do you know what time it comes on tomorrow? 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay. And each episode, I'm assuming, is an hour since the first one that I... The one that I watched was like 40-some minutes, so it has to be an hour show, so... Set two hours of your evening aside for everybody, and um, hopefully that everything goes great. Perfect. All right, thanks, Mike. I will see you in Vegas. Take care. All right, thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye.